Eric, hang on for a sec. Wave your hand back here, Eric, uh, with a baby. Uh, Eric organized our, our first, uh, maybe annual, uh, Vine camping trip, and so we can thank him. And uh, Michael, were you trying to score a goal or something, or what happened there? Oh, you just blew it, huh? I think those kids are still chasing Sam yet right now. They still haven't caught him. But um, no, anyway, we just want to uh, also, Justin, wave your hand here. Uh, Justin made that video, and he's helping us with uh, artistic, visual artistic things, as you guys know. So thank him for putting the time in just to, just to tell this story. And we want to be a community that tells stories. Um, culture is set oftentimes by the stories we tell, right? We, we know so much about the uh, American culture by just going to movies. You see what you value. You see what, what, the, what gets communicated shows what we value, what we're all about. Well, the same should be true among us. And so we value community. We value getting together as a family and just celebrating our relationships. And a camping trip's one small way, but a significant way to do that. There's lots of other ways, but we want to celebrate that. We want to we see that. We, you, you guys hear the word of God, and it's also important to see what God is doing by the power of his word and his spirit in us. And so we are telling stories. We want to continue to do that, and Justin's going to help us do that. If, any, if there's anybody else in the room that would like to be a part of helping us tell good stories, um, reach out to Justin, and uh, we'll take it from there. Well, this morning, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We are going to be in the book of John this morning, and that's the fourth book in the New Testament, the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we are in a 10-week series on the Holy Spirit. A 10-week series on the Holy Spirit. After these 10 weeks, we're going to jump into the book of Matthew, uh, starting around Christmas time. But we really felt like it'd be very important for us to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, like Michael said last week, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I was raised in a church that didn't ever really talk about the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of reasons for that we won't go into this morning. But the Bible is clear. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And it's a really big deal. And he's active in our lives. Just read the book of Acts to see what the Holy Spirit does in a local church or in a community of local churches. So here's where we were last week. Um, Jesus tells us that it's better for him to go away, for him to not be physically present with us. Why? So that we can have an ongoing personal relationship with the triune God through the Holy Spirit indwelled in us. And this empowers us for witness through what we say and how we live. Okay? So there's this empowering function that the Holy Spirit does in our lives that the Bible tells us about. And it also helps us understand spiritual truth, the Bible. That's what Michael talked about last week. Okay? It's good for Jesus to go away. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and that's how we know God. That's how we know his word, and that's how we have power for ministry in word and deed. Today, we're going to see something very clearly. It's basically just one point. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes us new creations. The Holy Spirit is the person, the power of the Holy Spirit is that which makes us new creations. Those who are completely Remade. The Holy Spirit has to give us eyes to see Jesus as the sovereign king of the kingdom. And then he has to give us the desire itself 
to want to participate or be a citizen or a member of that kingdom. The Holy Spirit gives us those eyes to see Jesus as glorious, something to be desired, to be treasured and trusted. King of the kingdom and the desire to enter that kingdom. That comes through the Holy Spirit doing a work in our lives. We don't do that on our own. We don't force it. We don't manufacture it. We don't barter for it. So let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 3. Well, let's scroll there on your device. Uh, let's, let's, let's just have that in, in front of our face. It'll be on the screen as well. But I want you to know how to, how to find it in your own way as well. And we're going to look at another facet of what the Holy Spirit does. John chapter 3 starting in verse 1. It's a very famous story, but hopefully maybe the Lord will illumine us this morning and give us grace to change us into his image. John 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. All right, so let's set the context here. What's this all about? So Nicodemus was a member of the religious elite, okay? He was in the religious cool kids club, okay? And the Pharisees were the strictest of the religious people in that day. There's lots of different groups, but the Pharisees were the ones that were really serious, really strict. They got after it. They weren't messing around. And he was a true religious insider, okay? And he'd probably spent his whole adult life, if not maybe raised as a child, to, to be a member of the religious elite, okay? And Pharisees, by and large, were, were known for their strict performance, and as a result, they were generally prideful about that. And Jesus spends a lot of times in the Gospels demonstrating that these guys are prideful, be careful, they got it all together outside, but on the inside, it's not there. The, the, the pride is, is, is displayed as the overflow of what's on the inside in their heart. And they just assumed that if they just followed the rules, God would bless them and everything would be fine. That's kind of a summary of their worldview. Now it also says in the text, look at it, at the end of verse 1 it says he was a ruler of the Jews. So let's, let's climb into the world of this text. Jesus is talking to a guy who's, who's an elitist religiously um, and he's powerful. He's powerful. He's a ruler, Okay. That's going to help us understand how Jesus interacts with Nicodemus as we progress. All right, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is truly with him. All right, so he makes a statement, and then he follows that up with a reason for why he made that statement. You see that? There's a foundation, right? There's a logical connection. You're a teacher from God. Well, how do I know that that's true? Well, because, for, we see that you're doing these signs. You're doing miracles. And so he says something pretty flattering here, right? And he speaks in the plural. He says, we, Rabbi, we. So he sounds like he's speaking for a group of people, probably the other religious leaders, the Pharisees. And we can see something. So, so we know something to be true. Like, we're not blinded. Like, we see it. We see the truth, Jesus. The evidence is clear. You are from God. 
And we see that based on how you behave. Your acts. That's what he says, these signs that you do. So he's making a definitive, declarative. He's not like uh, wavering here. It's a truth statement from Nicodemus. Like we know how God works. We're confident of that. And I know how God works. And since I see what you're doing through all these miracles, that means that God must be with you. That's what he's saying to Jesus. And hey, I'm a Pharisee. I'm educated. I got a master's degree, if not a PhD in theology. And of course, what Nicodemus says here is true, right? In some sense. Well, not in some sense. It is true. He gets an A in one aspect of Jesus' identity. Jesus is from God. That's a true statement. So Nicodemus gets an gets a A for effort here. But what we're going to see now, and this just kind of sets up the conversation that we're going to spend time on. What we're going to see now is Jesus wants to take him into the deep end of the pool theologically that, that, that Nicodemus thought he'd been swimming in, but Jesus is going to show him that's not true. That's not true. And we don't know for sure. There's other evidence in the book of John about Nicodemus, but we don't know for sure how he actually responded to this conversation that we're going to see. But I wonder if we can put ourselves in Nicodemus' shoes today and consider what our response should be. We don't know for sure what Nicodemus' response was, but let's put ourselves in his shoes and consider our response if we were in his place. All right, let's take a look. Verse 3. So Jesus, okay, remember what Nicodemus said. We know some things about you. It's clear. You're from God. I'm confident in my understanding of theology is what Nicodemus is saying. I see it in you. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So truly, truly, this is Jesus' very common way of saying, listen up, listen up. This is as true as it gets. Everything I say is true, but I really want you to listen up right now. Truly, truly, like all ears. Unless you're born again, you can't see or This is just a way of saying, or participate in, or know that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And what he means here is this. We have to become new creations. How in the world is that going to happen? Can you just make yourself a new creation? For example, all of us were conceived in our mother's womb, At that moment, in one sense, you were created. Moment of conception, you were created. And you didn't ask for it. You didn't plan for it. You you had nothing to do with it. It just was. You were created many years ago in in your mother's mother's womb. And Jesus is saying that kind of process has to happen again. In a spiritual sense. You have to be recreated. 
if you truly want to claim knowledge about seeing and understanding God, if you really want to know what God is all about, if you really want an A in theology, Nicodemus, if you really want to have a relationship with God, recreation, theological term regeneration, but let's just think about it like recreation. That's easier for us to understand probably. That has to happen first. That has to happen first. And repentance and faith are, are the evidence of that, what we do, okay? Repentance and faith are, are, are the, 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 the logical outworking of that. Repentance and faith is the fruit on the tree. Regeneration is the roots. You can't be a part of God's rule and reign, and that's another way of saying God's kingdom, unless you are recreated spiritually, That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus has a hard time with this. And I think if we were sitting there, right, we we might be a little struck as bizarre the words that Jesus is saying, right? He doesn't understand. We wouldn't understand. This This sounds kind of mysterious and completely out of our control, right? Like God has to do something that I'm completely powerless to have anything to do with when it comes to my salvation? So, that's probably what Nicodemus is thinking. And he asks a question that probably all of us might have asked. Verse 4, let's look at it. Nicodemus said to Jesus, said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Good question. Can he enter a second time into his, his mother's womb and be born? So, Right now, we see that Nicodemus, he's not thinking spiritually. He's thinking physically. And Jesus' assumption here is that, that we are born the first time physically alive. Now, track with this. We're born the first time physically alive, but spiritually dead. Okay? Physically alive, but spiritually dead. We are still born, spiritually speaking. Now, that's challenging for us if you think about it, that you're born spiritually dead. Jesus is challenging Nicodemus' line of thinking here. And I think it challenges us as well in Madison 2018. Like, this is not a culturally popular statement. Apart from Jesus, you're spiritually dead. See, in our culture, we like to talk a lot about being spiritual. Like, that's a pretty popular thing right now. Oprah talks about it all the time, right? You hear a phrase like, getting in touch with your spirit. Being a spiritual person is very hip. We hear the phrase, I'm not really into religion, but I consider myself a spiritual person. Like, that's a very safe thing to say in our culture today, right? And see, Jesus has something to say about that. Jesus isn't, if, maybe that's you this morning, and we're so glad you're here. Jesus isn't here to berate you this morning, but he is here to help you take a step deeper in understanding what it truly means to be spiritual. Jesus has something in mind for what it means to be a truly spiritual person. 
Jesus saying this, that there's no such thing as being a truly spiritual being unless you are reborn or remade into a completely new spiritual creation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, look at the screen here. Don't turn there. But listen to how Ephesians 2 talks about this. We talked about this two weeks ago, and and this is just kind of part two of that message. This is what Ephesians 2 says about spirituality. And he's writing to an ancient church in Ephesus that had spirituality everywhere, okay? They were into being spiritual just like we are. This church, the ancient church in Ephesus. And Paul's writing to them, and he says, let me tell you something about spirituality. You were dead in the trespasses, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at, the, at work in the sons of disobedience. So what he's saying is, you're spiritual. It's just swinging completely the wrong way. You were dead and following the complete wrong path of spirituality, okay? Among whom we all once lived. And he's just saying that's, that was who all of us were at one point. Lived in the passions of our flesh. So the evidence of that is that I just do whatever feels good. Living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. There it is again. Just whatever feels good, do it. And the mind. And we're by nature. Okay, that's different than just saying you do bad things. No, it's saying your nature is bad. By nature, what? Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So all of us, apart from God doing a work in us, are children of wrath. That's a controversial statement. So the Bible teaches. But here's the best news in the world. Verse 4 comes in, and this is, I mean, this is the reason to have a party. This is the reason to go camping and celebrate. This is a reason to sing loud to Jesus. Verse 4. But God... So it was all about us before, horrible spiritual state, but God, verse 4. What's God all like? He's like merciful. He's He's not poor in mercy. He's rich in mercy. What did he do? Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead, like six feet under, spiritually speaking, dead in our trespasses, enslaved and dead in sin, what happened? You did a lot of good works and God showed mercy on you as a result. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. That you actually pulled yourself up by your moral bootstraps and God looked down with pleasure upon your effort and said, now I'll come to you. That's not what it says, right? Who's the active agent here? God made us alive together with Christ. When we were in that state of the cancer of sin, Writing our death certificate, God and God alone, he was the only one made us alive. He made us. God made us alive together with Christ. By, it's all of grace. By grace you've been saved. And we preach a sermon right here. Okay, I'm getting off script. But the point is this that I want you to see. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is dead people can't see the kingdom. Dead people can't see anything about the kingdom. Nicodemus, you came to me with all these true statements, but slow down, Nicodemus. Maybe there's something I I still need to teach you. I'm the ultimate rabbi. Dead people can't see anything. So what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see is there's two groups of people. 
That's pretty much it. The two broad groups of people, and just two. First, there are those who are physically born and spiritually dead, can't see the beauty and desirability of the kingdom, doesn't compute, no eyes to see, physically born, spiritually dead. And second group of people, those who are physically born and are spiritually, verse 5, made alive. By how? By the Holy Spirit. Evidenced by the fact that they see the beauty and desirability of the king and his kingdom and want to run to it, buy a house there and live there forever because it's so amazing. I'll do anything to buy that house in that kingdom. I'll sell everything because the king is worth it. I just want to be close to the king. I just want to have a house next door to the king. He's my treasure. So I got to have proximity. Well, there's a problem because Nicodemus is still just thinking straight physical. He's confused. He doesn't know what to make of this statement from Jesus. And so Jesus takes him one step further. Verse 5, look at it. He says, truly, truly, again, there it is. Man, this is emphasis, Nicodemus. Listen, Nicodemus, listen. This This is your time, Nicodemus. Listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, talking about it again. How do I, how, do I, how, how can I become a, a member of the kingdom of God? You have to, what does it say here? This is hard. You have to be born of water and the Spirit. What is, what is that language all about? Well, Jesus knows his Bible very well because he wrote it, and he's thinking about Ezekiel. He's thinking about Ezekiel, okay? And Ezekiel chapter 36 says this. Check it out. Many centuries before Nicodemus, the prophet Ezekiel says to the nation of Israel, here's what's going to happen in the future. I will sprinkle clean water on you. So there's that water language. He said you got to be born of water and spirit. Remember that. So Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, from, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. So this is the essence of this water and spirit language in verse 5 that we see. Jesus, I think, has Ezekiel on the mind. And he's assuming Nicodemus does too because he's an expert in the Old Testament. Maybe not as much of an expert as he thought. But look at this text. Who's the active party? Who's doing all of the stuff in this text? What's the repeated word? It's I. God is speaking. He says, I'm going to do this. 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 The, the text from Ezekiel doesn't say that you, you will have the power to see God's kingdom and walk with the king if you have the right passport that says you're a member of the nation of Israel. That's Nicodemus. No. He says, you have to have God do something in you first. You need the Holy Spirit to come over you and change you completely, to have new desires for him, new desires for repentance and faith in him. Now Nicodemus is really confused. Why would that be? Why would he be so confused? Because... For Nicodemus, as, a, as, a, as the religious elite, privileged 
place of privilege in this group called the Pharisees, his assumption is this. Just that he's a member of God's chosen people, the Jews, and he already is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Just by the fact that he was born a Jew. He can already see simply because he's a Jew, the special chosen people of God. And what Jesus is up to here, what he's telling this guy that he can't, is that he can't be a member of God's kingdom, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. You can't be a member unless you meet the qualifications. What are the qualifications? You've got to be born again. What does that mean? You have to be recreated made into a new creation, spiritually speaking. You can't see it on the outside, but the inside is totally different. And, and he just keeps going. Look at verse 6. Jesus is just faithfully teaching him. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he's saying, don't, don't be surprised. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus is just saying, physical human beings participate. Like a lot of, lot of women have had babies in this room. You get that, all right? We, we, physical human beings have the power under God's authority to recreate ourselves, physically speaking, right? But to be remade spiritually, that's solely a work of God. His Holy Spirit has to do that work. And then he gives an example. Jesus is so faithful as an illustrator, so faithful as an illustrator. He said, Nicodemus, this is what it's like. You want to understand, Nicodemus, this is what it's like. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. So Jesus is comparing the work of the Spirit here to the wind, right? You can't control the wind. You ever been in a, a crazy storm? Wind howling? It's one of the forces of nature that can humble you in a hurry because you know immediately you're not in control, right? You can't manipulate it. You can't control it. And Jesus is saying in the same way, you can't conjure up the Holy Spirit like some genie in a bottle. He, he's not summoned like a small s spirit in a silly horror movie. The spirit, like the wind, moves on its own terms, on his own terms. You can't grasp the wind. You can't see it. You can't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sovereign as God. So it is, he says, look at it in verse 8, so it is, just like the wind, there's an analogy here, Nicodemus. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Meaning, Nicodemus, learn from the wind. Learn from the wind. Think about the wind, and that is how the Spirit moves. If anyone is born of the Spirit, recreated by the Spirit, to have eyes to see, and trust and treasure Jesus, it's not because of human control or human sovereignty. You can't make yourself be born physically the first time or spiritually the second time. It's because of God's loving sovereignty. He's the one who does the giving of a new heart. He's the one who initiates the new birth. He's the one who blows where he will. The dead don't give themselves new life. The Spirit has to do that. 
Let me just give you one other text that illustrates this perfectly. And it's just two chapters before this. It's John chapter 1, starting in verse 12. It says this, But to all who did receive him, those who came to Jesus and said yes to him, those who trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and treasured him above all else, to those who did receive him, who believed in his name or trusted and treasured in Jesus, what happened? He gave the right to become children of God. Okay, so how did that happen? Verse 13 explains it. Well, here's how it happened. If you received him, if you have received him this morning, you want an explanation of how that happened? Verse 13 is your explanation. Who were, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. So he's just saying it's not all about human control. Nor of the will of man, but, but what? Ephesians 2, 5, but God. But God. How did you come to receive him? Oh, because you were born, verse 13, who were born, comma, end of the verse, of God. That's how you came to receive. So if you have received him, you know that something happened prior. God did a work by the power of the Holy Spirit to make you alive. And it doesn't matter that you didn't consciously feel it. We let the Bible interpret our feelings, right? And this is what the Bible says. If you received, have received God this morning and you said yes to him when you heard the call of the gospel and you said yes, this interprets that experience. and says, you know what happened first? God called out to you and he changed your heart. Even when you weren't aware of it, he is sovereign. He gets the glory. He did the grace. You didn't cause yourself to be born the first time. You didn't cause yourself to be born the second time. Now, here's an objection. What if the wind of God's sovereign, saving spirit doesn't choose to blow upon me to cause me to be born again? Fear, anxiety, right? Just like last week or two weeks ago, wrong question. Wrong question. Wrong starting point for human beings. That's God's business ultimately that he lets us have a little window into here in verse 13 of John chapter 1. But that's not our starting point for anxiety and fear. Here's our starting point. And it just happens 10 verses later from the conversation, or it's an extension on the conversation with Nicodemus. What What did Jesus say? This is verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. Here's our starting point. No anxiety, no fear. Don't worry about whether you're chosen or not. That's not the point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, anyone, believes should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. The question is not, has God chosen me to be born again by his spirit? Wrong question. The starting point for human beings is this. Do you believe? Are you willing to believe? Right now, are you willing to believe? Everyone should ask themselves right now, are you willing to believe? Are you willing to trust Jesus and treasure him above all else? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? The answer is yes. Then you know, based on John chapter 1, based on John chapter 3, that God has caused that in you. Even if you're not aware of it. The Bible says that this is what happens to us, whether we feel it or not. But So so you just have an understanding for for where you are this morning if the answer is yes. But what if the answer is no? I'm not sure if I believe right now. We would just follow up and say, 
Why not? Why not? Have you considered Jesus? Have you considered what he said, what he did as a historical fact? Have you considered this offer of forgiveness and life? You can get off this treadmill of trying to prove yourself. Get off this treadmill of, of trying to anesthetize yourself. It never really works. You're always coming back for more, always thirsty. Jesus says, you can, you can get off that, that treadmill. I'll give you life. Today can be that day when you experience the proof that God has moved over your life by his spirit. I want to leave you with one other thing, though, from this text, then we'll be done. Something for us to chew on. For many of us in the room, I think we might not be like someone who doesn't yet believe that I just addressed, but maybe we're a lot more like Nicodemus than we'd like to admit. Like we've been around religious things for a long time. And that can lure us sometimes very subtly into thinking that we are in control. Like, man, I've been doing this church thing a long time. I know the drill, right? I know how this Christianity thing works. Just push the right religious buttons and everything works out fine. It's kind of a soft form of legalism. Like just do the right churchy things all in your own power and then you'll be fine spiritually. That can be our perspective. That was kind of Nicodemus' perspective. Anybody relate to that? I mean, I've been a church kid my whole life. I relate to this. Well, there's a danger here. Because you can know all the right answers and completely miss the power, the present power of the Holy Spirit. See, you can have a desire for control and miss the opportunity to be swept away into the powerful, unpredictable, and beautiful wind of the Spirit that might take you to places where you never expected. See, Nicodemus supposedly knew his Bible really well, but somehow he forgot Ezekiel chapter 36. The sovereign, mysterious power of the Holy Spirit to awaken new life. And oftentimes for guys like Nicodemus or for me or for us, what this typically looks like is a desire to play it safe because safety equals control. But it's devoid of experiencing a true power of the Spirit in real time. Deep down, it's this desire for control. Because there's fear, right? So I, I can tell in the room right now that some of you, this, this is starting to get, get a little scary. What am I saying up here? You can ask me to move to Africa and be a missionary? No, maybe. Maybe not. But there can be fear of the wind of the Spirit because Jesus says right here that we can't control the Spirit any more than we can control the wind. So if you're in a boat and can't control the wind and that's going to push your sails, that can be scary, right? But here's the deal. If you know that the power of that wind is really, really good and will take you exactly where you need to go, then you don't need to fear, right? You just need to get in the water. And surrender to where that wind takes you. And that wind is never going to take you 
outside of this book. So rest in that. But I would guess that the wind of the Spirit, if you really know this book, there's some things in here that might challenge us. And maybe you do need to become a missionary. And you've just been suppressing that call of the Great Commission over and over and again in your life. And you know that God has, has, has ordained people in every nation, tribe, and tongue to worship him. And they're just waiting, Romans chapter 10, to be told. How can they believe without a preacher? And you're like, yeah, I, I, could, I could do that, but I don't want to. Why? Jesus says in his word that going and telling is, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news? That's just one example. Doesn't mean, some of you need to stay and just be faithful here. But you've suppressed the call to make disciples out of fear. And the spirit working through his word is saying to you, what do you have to be scared of? Just tell them. What can, what can human beings do? Don't fear them. They can't do anything. Fear the Lord. He's the one that has all the power. You just need to get in the water and surrender to where that wind is taking you. This is the wind of the Spirit, and it wants to take his places. Let's get in here and surrender. Where, where is God taking us? Well, I know he's taking us to the Great Commission. I know he's taking us to love in community. I know he's taking us to generosity. You with me? So it's scary, but it's not that scary. God's told us what it's going to be like. Read the book of Acts. See, if you're already a believer here this morning and you know what Jesus is talking about here, and you didn't do anything to cause yourself to be born again, but rather you look back and see God's sovereign spirit as the one who initiated that in your life. If you know that is true from this text, what should the implication be for moving into the future? It happened once. And God is sovereignly powerful in my life. That is clear. And he's continuing to be sovereign to this day. What should my response be today then? Just continue to surrender. Just continue to surrender. Continue to surrender to the Spirit as He's revealed Himself in the Word, in our community, as the Spirit indwells us collectively and in prayer. Put the sailboat of your life in the water and name that sailboat Surrender. And as a church, we're in the boat called surrender and willing to go where that wind takes us. And that wind always blows through the power of the word, the Bible. You want to know where the Spirit takes us? Get in the Bible. And to get into it with a prayerful posture, it's not just reading. It's not just reading. No, it's a supernatural kind of reading where you surrender and say, Lord, use this word to move the boat of my life called surrender. Wherever you want to go, I'll go. And maybe it's stay. Maybe it's go, I don't care, but I'm with you, and this is your word. I'm going to surrender to it and open myself to the power of the Spirit and say, Lord, take me. That's not Nicodemus-like religious control. That's submission. That's not coming to God and saying, I got the answers, like Nicodemus. Oh, I got the answers, Jesus. I got, I got, you, I got you pegged, Jesus. No, Jesus is saying, submit. So we aim for that as a church. It's the best ride you could ever imagine. 
You can plant churches without fear. You can be generous without fear. You can share your faith without fear. So we aim for that as a church. But surrender is the name of the game. Surrender is the opposite of control. Surrender to the benevolent power of the Holy Spirit who loves to work in the lives of those who are surrendered to him. Come to him. Surrender to him. For the first time this morning, maybe, if you're willing to repent and believe in Jesus, and then from this day forward, forever, for all those who love Jesus, keep surrendering to the Spirit in your life, to the Word and prayer, and watch out for the amazing places that the Spirit is going to drive us by the power of his name and his beauty. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us. We need your help. May the power of your spirit awaken us this morning. That power that raised us from the dead spiritually with Christ may continue to work among us in present realities this day. In Jesus' name, amen.